you the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes. Good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Lord, welcome back to Saxon Jacks. I'm Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 20. NASDAQ Futures up 76. We were higher than this yesterday, and then all of a sudden we turned around on some news, and it was sort of interesting news. Uh, do we have Mr. Lou? We have him. Lou, how are you? How are you? Oh, I'm just peachy. I'm I'm still adjusting to uh, time zone shift, but I'm uh, I'm good. Where are you? I'm in Denver. Isn't that where you but are? But I wasn't last week. I was in London, and ah. that's why I wasn't on the show. That's right. You were. In, how was London? Uh, it was neat. Um, we were actually up in up in Cambridge for a couple of days for a graduation. Um, English English college towns do graduation right. Um, everything was very, very, uh, well, it would, it would be pretentious if it was done here, but because it was being done in England, you, you don't, you don't feel like that. It's, uh, <laughs> the, the, the entire graduation, uh, service was in Latin. Um, uh, and this is one of the Cambridge colleges. And, uh, you know, Cambridge, Cambridge is a, is a pure 100% college town that's, that's now supporting a, you know, a, a, some fairly high tech industries on the outskirts. But it, but you know, through the center of town, it's it's just you know one college after another along the banks of the uh, of the Cam River. Uh, I went punting down the Cam with uh, with some family and friends, and then uh, and then we were we were in London for uh, for five or six days. Well, you know, that was the first time after my four years of Latin in high school I ever could have used it. I was there. <laughs> you would have you would have enjoyed it. It was it was um, like I said. It would have been in the United States. It would have been just I would have considered it pretentious. But you know when you're when you're hearing Latin spoken buildings that were built in you know the twelve and thirteen hundreds or in some cases a, a little bit later, a, a new building they refer to the new section of Cambridge as that part of town that uh, dates from somewhere around the sixteen fifty. So that's a new building. So that's the new that's <laughs> the new part of town. Um, and and when you're sitting in buildings surrounded by that kind of architecture and and everything associated with it, um, the, the service in Latin and the the frocking and the cowling and the gowns and everything else doesn't seem nearly as uh, as pretentious. It actually seems uh, it, it seems uh, proper and appropriate. I was just reading in. Uh Somebody had written in it at Core Digest that the there actually is a Roman wall just sort of north of where you were that dates back to Roman times and tried to keep the Scottish tribes away from the rest of Britain. Yeah, Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. You can still find. Yeah, you'll still. I mean, when you get into when you get into the UK and if you travel outside of the immediate environs of London, you, you can still you can still find pieces of the original Roman Wall in London too. But north of there, north of Cambridge, north of Oxford, uh, you have Hadrian's Wall, and, and there are portions of it that are still standing. There are there are Roman roads 
paved by the Romans, with, you know, sections of, of highway that are still that are still in use in, in the UK. And uh, when, you, know, you, you you really start to get a feel, um, you know, if you, if you go to a place like Bath or uh, one of the other really well-preserved Roman sites up there, you really start to get a feeling of why, you know, the, the Roman Empire, when it fell, it took a long time for us to get back to the, you know, Western Europe and uh, the Europeans to get back to a comparable, uh, you know, level of uh, level of living and, and, and comfort. How many no, how many years uh, would you put on it? I'd put well, Rome totally winked out. What about four fifty in the when did the Dark Ages end? The thirteen hundred or something? Yeah. Well, I I, I noticed the, the Renaissance, and it it really starts, I think, in the in the thirteen fifty fourteen hundred as as the Crusades wind down and when we stop uh, you know the the, the the civil wars that that uh, racked Europe really start to ramp up after about twelve hundred. Um, it it really is a is interesting experience, and then and then to come down into from there, you know, to take the a modern train transportation system down into London and uh, wander around London, and and we we did not do a, you know spend a lot of time in cars in London. We the hotel we were at was right next to St Paul, so we were able to walk pretty much everywhere we wanted to um, in the center part of the city. I, I took in a play at the Globe Theater, wow. the recreation of Shakespeare's Theater on the on the banks of the Thames, um, which was which was terrific, and I can wax eloquent on the the benefits. You know that that is one thing I really miss about Chicago, is the live theater, um, and and seeing that that play at the Globe made me miss the Chicago. Now, were you were theater. you one of the groundlings, or were you up in the one of the seats? I was up in one of the seats. And and unfortunately, you end up you know when you're one of the groundlings there, you end up standing the whole time. Yeah, well, I, I wish I had been. I wish I had been standing because it's one of these places where they they try to recreate the kind of thing that you would have seen in Shakespeare's time with respect to the way the the players interact with the audience. And so the play we saw was much to do about nothing, and they the the players come down into the audience. And, and interact with them while the play is going on. So there's a there's a scene where these two villains are being chased by these incompetent police, um, and and you know this is a comedy. So they run down into the audience while the cops are chased, while the police are chasing them, and they they grab these two audience members and and change coats with them. <laughs> they yeah. put their they put their costume coats on the audience members, and they grab like there's one guy had a baseball hat on. They they grab one of the guys grabs a baseball hat. The other guy grabs you know, some bag that this guy is carrying and, and puts it around. And so the cops arrest the two the, the two audience members <laughs> and and put them up, and put them up on stage in in ropes you know and tied up tie them up and and parade them in front of the magistrate who says I'm I'm pretty sure these are not the people that you were chasing and you know it it it's all it's all very very well done and that that was just an example of it but. Again, there's nothing there's nothing like live theater. As I said, I, I really miss that about Chicago. Denver's got it, you know, but it's it's very it, it's it's limited and not nearly the same, uh, the same kind of thing. Did you have you ever been out to Bletchley Park? That's where yeah. I want to go from there. It's the code breaking. Yeah, we did we did. I, I have been there. We didn't do that this time. We did go into the uh, 
Churchill's war rooms, though. The Imperial, the Imperial, we, I went to two Imperial War Museum sites, the, the airfield at Duxford, which is just outside of Cambridge, which has this fantastic collection of World War II uh, fighter aircraft and a really good um, explanation uh, you know, in a kind of a, of a mock war room kind of thing at Duxford of how they ran their intercept system with, uh, you know, with all these people sitting at these antiquated radars, radar screens, these very early radar screens, and the little model airplanes that they pushed around on the map. Yeah, I've uh, seen that. I've seen that on TV and all those guys in the, in the room are yeah, really I mean, sweating away and no air conditioning. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, to, to, you know, World War II was, was, you know, modern, modern war with, with sort of antiquated means and, it, it, it really gives you a picture of what they had to do to, to confound really what was from a technological and organizational perspective the best the best military in the world um, and the Brits you know the Brits defeated them they defeated them with our help we provided a lot of equipment and material to them but it it really uh, it, that it, that drove home that part of the experience, and then we we went to the uh, Imperial War Museum site uh, of Ch- Churchill's uh, Underground War Center, where they where's you know, that they were under Whitehall. They were they were under Whitehall. That that was that. Yeah. Where that was? Wow. So so if you if you go in if you go in if you know where the Horse Guards area is, they're they're doing all this parading right around that area right now because of the jubilee, but. It's right next to the it's right next to the horse guards area, and um, yeah, it was, it was an old building, you know, one of the old buildings there, and they they literally tore the tore this uh, first floor flooring out and poured uh, concrete using a pumping device that, that was imported from the United States, and they pumped something like three feet or four feet of concrete over the top of the whole thing, and then and then. You know they're all storerooms, so they they just they put uh, scrambler scrambler encryption phone devices in, so they could talk to Churchill could talk directly to Roosevelt um, or any of the other uh, Commonwealth countries. They they did a they did a, a lot of obviously modification, but again these were these were spaces where the the British leadership would uh, would retreat in the event of a bombing, although they. They, it played hell for Churchill. He, he rarely slept down there. He spent most of his. He wanted to spend his evenings up uh, at, at number ten uh, to uh, you know, send the message to the rest of the population that he wasn't cowed. And you know, he, I had forgotten about this, but I read I read um, um, Eric Larson's great book about uh, about Churchill, the pride and the glory, or, or something like that. Maddie can can look it up. Um, he talked about the fact that that Churchill made a point after every bombing raid of going out to the neighborhoods that took the worst damage in London and walking, or and, and in some cases further out, he like Coventry, and and walking the streets after the uh, after the raid. And his his people, you know, his his PR people were saying, "Don't do that! Don't do that!" You know, the, the population bl- will blame you for this stuff. And Churchill said, well, then, then they should blame me. You know, <clears throat> this is what they have to see that I'm out there. And uh, Larson, Larson writes a lot about that and, and the impact that it had on the, 
on the morale of the British people. You know, every morning there'd be uh, there'd be Winston out stalking with his cigar chop, you know, clamped in his teeth, stalking through the the ruins of these these cities with you know talking to people and and trying to get a feel for the impact. Well, my aunt was so, there uh, during the during the bombing. Uh, she was growing up there in the bombing, and she said that the uh, the king would come by. They'd come every day and try and replace windows that were blown out the night before, even though they knew they were blown out again. They just they kept putting them in. They would come out and they'd, they'd replace as many as they could the day after the bombing, even though you know everybody knew they were sort of temporary because they wanted people. To, you know, they wanted to let everybody know that they were working. Doing and the king was right there. Yeah, yeah. It, it the royals, um, the royals played a huge role in terms of keeping. You know, keeping the Brits pulled together and organized in that ceremony. They've got that ceremonial function. I mean, Queen Elizabeth herself, I believe, worked as a common, um, wrench turner in the, uh, in some royal army motor pool. Yeah, she's, she's quite the, she's quite the lady. She's quite the lady. I mean, there's, there's there's a lot of background to her. I mean, uh, a, uh, I mean, people wonder what, what she does and, I mean, all that good stuff and, and, you know, what the hell do you need to think. But I also think that out of the king's cash, he supported, when Chamberlain and the rest of those guys didn't want to do anything, they wanted to be totally neutral. I think some of the money that supported Churchill's group to actually do some, uh, you know, at, at least, uh, what do you say, reconnaissance or, or some, some kind of intelligence gathering before the war, I think the king and the queen funded um, Personally, that would that would not surprise me. Uh, Chamberlain, I, I think so. So Edward abdicates to marry his divorcee, um, and and you know uh, his his brother, the guy with the stutter, is uh, is elevated. You know, uh, Elizabeth's uh, father. He he takes uh, he takes over. Um, Edward was actually a bit of a fascist sympathizer. Well, the Queen Mum certainly was. Queen Mum, Mum, that's, that's, that's allegedly the reason why a lot of the documents are still sealed, is the Queen Mum was, it was a huge, uh, let's, let's just, you know, negotiate with these guys. Well, well, I think, I think that's right, but the King, the King that they were, the, the guy who came in behind Edward, or after Edward, was not. And it was a very strong character, and um, his his leadership was was key there. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit if, in fact, he was funding some of the stuff that uh, that, that that Churchill was trying to was trying to uh, organize behind the scenes. Because I think you know Churchill started sounding the toxin uh, in 1933. I think yeah. when it came to power. And, and Churchill started saying, "We've we've got to rearm." I, intelligence being what it was, I don't know how much we knew about what the what the Germans and the Russians were doing uh, in between the wars. But by you know the mid 1930s, you know it was pretty clear that Hitler had no, and the German government had no intention of following the limitations on arms production from uh, Versailles, and and. I think I think you know Chamberlain was a lot like uh, the uh, the people that were analyzing Putin, uh, you know, early on, saying, "Yeah, he's 
he's not going to do anything. All they want to do is consolidate, you know, Russia and get it back on its feet uh, without really understanding how, how aggressive they were going to be once they get into power. And uh, Churchill did. Uh, Churchill Churchill recognized it. He, the, the Winston Churchill Museum is right next to the war room, the war rooms, and, and you can walk through that. You know, it, it always... But as we were going through there, the, the people I, were, I was with, and we come to the, it, it, it's organized not chronologically, but, but by themes. And so we come to the, you know, the end of the end of the war, VE Day, which is in April of 1945. In July of 1945, Churchill was ousted as prime minister. And everybody kind of, the people I was with were kind of going, what? Yeah. What? I said, yeah, yeah. The British people could not wait really to get rid of that party once the war was over and and Churchill Churchill he, he was re-elected Prime Minister in I think 51 or his, his party came into power <clears throat> back in power in 51 and he was Prime Minister again but I don't I don't think he ever really forgave the British public for turning him out you know less than six months after after he yeah, it's not as it's not as personal I don't really understand it that much but he it's not quite as personal. You, your party runs, and they get to select you. So, it's not like uh, you know you run personally, separately, like we well, do. Well, he took it personally. Well, sure, and, he did. <laughs> and you know, really, this and, and and maybe maybe it was for the best. You know, he he was furious that the British did not try to maintain their control over India. And and he he was a he was a colonizer. Oh yeah, he, he was a in the, he believed in the British Empire and that's he what the uh, on to, to India. Well, that's he why he and Roosevelt were that was their well, I mean, that was their biggest. He predicted he predicted what was going to happen in India. He said, "Listen, if we get out of there, you know, this is not a place." Notwithstanding Gandhi's peaceful messages and everything else, he he viewed Gandhi as a very shrewd politician and a conniver, much like himself. Um, he he said, "Listen, if we get out of there, th- these people are not, you know, they're not the kind of folks that are just going to peacefully transition power. There'll be a bloodbath. There's well, that's Hindus go after the Muslims, and that's exactly what happened. Why? Why? Uh, not to get too far off wherever the subject. Why don't Why don't people sort of get that? I mean, I don't. My uh, I have a, a good friend who's on. I was on a board with, and we were talking about." I don't know, we're having an election someday in place. It was Iraq or someplace. And uh, he says, what is wrong with us? <laughs> he goes, if you don't have the tradition where you leave power when you lose and then become the loyal opposition, try and figure out what you did wrong so you get back in the next time, if you don't have that tradition, what what good is an election? <laughs> what, are, what are you doing? You might as well have an election in the barnyard. I mean, uh, and, and well, well, exactly. Or, or if your culture... You know, because the Brits, the Brits, for better or worse, kept the lid, much like Tito. They kept the lid on all of that tribalism in India, and, and, and kept the lid on it, and suppressed it, and and tried to promote this idea of religious tolerance, which of course is essential to to what we consider to be a Western liberal democracy. And and the minute they left, you know, the Indians were having none of it. They they wanted the they wanted the Muslims out. They attacked them. They got, I don't know what what was the total death toll from the from the establishment of Pakistan. I think it was you know I think it was several million people. Yeah, you know? I think it was. And, and 
I mean, real, real, and you know, we're talking real, you know, kind of medieval savagery. People being burned to death in the streets, or you know, crucified or staked out, and, and I mean, it was it was horrible. And Churchill, Churchill predicted all that and said, we, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. Well, we, um, if you look at these spe- spectacular numbers, actually, I have one buried somewhere in one of my favorites, but uh, the production and all that stuff in World War II and the things we produced and accomplished in three and a half years. Roughly half the time it's going to take to do the burn interchange, but that's you know a little shot there. Uh, it was uh, it, it didn't just happen. Well, I mean Roosevelt, to his credit, saw the saw the drums beating along the Mohawk as well, and put George Marshall in charge. And he's if it wasn't for him, I don't you know, I don't know. You know, by the singular men in this country, he's probably one of the top ten that that did did stuff that nobody else probably could do. But he. He went around, he started, when he started, like 1936, just making all the old generals retire and all the war plans. Um, it actually, I think it actually was faster, a lot faster than that. I think, I think Marshall comes in, I think Marshall comes in 36, 37, and then the first thing he does is he starts performing an assessment of people, um, and, and begins to assemble his, his staff. He moves he moves Eisenhower up, I think, in 1940. <clears throat> Eisenhower was like a lieutenant colonel in 1940, and he's a, you know, he's a, like a two-star general within within two years. Um, he, he he begins to assemble the, the army and the the, uh, the military that he wants. Um, but but his, I mean, to to, to Roosevelt's credit, our defense production started in, in 1939. Right, but when, what uh, I'm saying the yeah, the planning the planning for it started. We, we, you can't just decide tomorrow we're going to build airplanes in a, an automobile factory if you don't have the design of the planes, if you don't have the supply system, and all that, all that stuff was done beforehand. Was you know yeah. we, we, I mean, we were we were ramping up we were ramping up in the in the late 30s and we started ramping up in the late 30s, but you don't see the impact of that, and, and of course the marker. Well, what the impact of, or how that that started, the marker for that is our unemployment numbers. Our right. unemployment numbers are terrible in 1936 you know, we were selling planes, we were selling shells, we were selling artillery pieces. We were already, we were already selling that stuff. So, it, 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 to ramp, when, once you once you got it going, accelerating it's the easy part. You know, but but getting it going, getting all the bolts and things together in one spot for the first plane. And I've I've been through that for a railroad car, and a plane's got to be a lot more complicated. And it's 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 a big deal to go from yeah, a drawing you know, to a to whatever. Um, so, so so the the low light of the trip. So I, I would recommend Churchill's War Rooms to, to anybody. But before you uh, before you go, I would read uh, Eric Larson's book. The highlight of the trip, the, the low light of the trip, was coming back to the United States, going over to Heathrow Airport, and having to get my nose swabbed. Oh, good. For because you can't get back into the country without a COVID test taken within 24 hours of your departure. And we're the only we're the only country that's requiring this right now, at least in in Western Europe. It's and it's it's totally it's totally stupid. So you you get the you get the swab, 
and then you go stand in line to get your bags checked. You can't you can't get into the baggage check area unless you unless you've completed this test. <clears throat> they they don't check. Nobody checks my documentation. In fact, they weren't checking any documentation. They just had you a test on your phone that you were vaccinated. Again, no check, and that you tested negative. No check. So you can't come back if you weren't vaccinated. Uh, you're supposed to attest. You're supposed to attest that you've uh, that you've uh, had a vaccination at some point. You can come back in if you're not vaccinated, but but you have to jump through. You have to jump through a couple of more hoops. Um, but there was no there was no test. There was no check on any of the documentation. <laughs> it, it was except for my passport to make sure I was you know who I said I was. But nobody. I, I could have gone up there. I could have been typhoid Mary, walking in there, and I would say, oh, "Yeah, I'm fine." And and gotten on the airplane. I I just thought, why are we why are we doing this? And I I think I think it's just the result of the fact that the airlines everybody knows we're just we're just pencil whipping these forms. We're just, this is just a paper exercise. Well, but I'm, I'm going to say that the guy that who, was the dumbest that was the dumbest part of the of the trip. Well, the people who are continuing to use these nose swab tests, when the other ones are less invasive and probably better, from what I understand. Whoever, whoever that guy is has got one hell of a lobbyist. I had the same experience. Uh, I was in Dominican Republic last month, and same thing. Had to get the, the COVID test, which, you know, whatever, got it. But no one looked at the paperwork <laughs> when I went through. So I was like, what's uh, the yeah, point? What? So, I mean, what's the, what's the point? The, well, I know what the point is. The point is that, that there are COVIDians um, uh, in, the, in the administration that have a lot of influence, and they, this is... I mean, this is why this is why the Department of Justice on Tuesday was was in at the Eleventh uh, Circuit Court of Appeals trying to reverse that judge in Florida who said that that CDC didn't have the power to to enforce masks and um, and and filing that filing that brief. Uh, I'll be very interested to see how that how that argument works out. Well, we got S and P um, futures up twenty three, Nasdaq futures up ninety one. We come back. I want you to critique your buddy Jamie Dimon's. Uh, Little speech here about brace yourself for an economic hurricane. Uh, that was interesting yesterday. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com/jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. 
Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howell, Mr. Ben Weber on the board. SP Futures up 19, NASDAQ Futures up 75. Kind of, we were here yesterday morning before we went the other way. Dow Futures up 146. Individual stocks in the Dow that are, we've got Home Depot up 2, Microsoft up 230. It's two days in a row, and Microsoft being up. And Salesforce uh, up again at 113. They were up yesterday uh, pretty heavy. Uh, we also got Visa up, up 211. Uh, over in Asia, we've got uh, Nikkei down 44, so that's 0.1%. Not much. Shanghai up 13, 0.4%. Hang Seng down 212. That's a full 1%. These guys are 21,082. I think they started... Maybe a year ago today, I think there were twenty nine thousand. So they're they're down real numbers. That's forty percent or whatever. That's all. That's a lot. Uh, well, thirty five percent somewhere in there. Over in Europe, we've got the Dex up one hundred one point seven percent. FTSE down seventy four one percent. It's kind of interesting. Jack around up sixty eight one percent. So we've got the uh, actually no what FTSE was closed. Uh, is uh, was, was close today. Why, why would they be close? You were just there, Lou. Uh, but anyway, they're they close today for some reason. So so belay that one. Uh, the U.S. yesterday, Dow Jones down 176. Uh, it's 0.5 percent. S&P down 30. 0.75. Nasdaq up down 86.77 for being up most of the morning. We'll talk about that in a minute. Ten year down two basis points, 2.91, but still trying to make it to three. The bund up another two basis points to 1.20, uh, way higher than the zero they were forever. Uh, Japan actually up a basis point, 0.25, so they're nudging a little bit. Oil down 3.22. Uh, it's a down down day. It's been up a, just about every day. 112.04. Brent down 3.12. 113.17. Natural gas up eight cents, 8.78. Arbob down seven cents, under four bucks, 3.9972. So not much under there. 
Uh, gold rallying ten bucks, eighteen fifty nine. Silver down up twenty four cents, twenty four twenty two fifteen. Copper, a big move here in copper, three percent up fourteen cents, four forty seven. And last but not least, we got Bitcoin down one twenty seven at thirty thousand zero four seven. Maybe we got for us Trevi Weather Sports. Thirty six minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have a few crashes already this morning, which is rare for this hour. But uh, we'll start on the Dan Ryan. Local lanes inbound side just before 43rd Street, there is a crash. So expect delays there if you're coming in on the Ryan local lanes uh, due to that accident. No issues on the outbound side. We also have a crash on the Stevenson blocking the left lane. This is on the northbound side at Central Avenue, and that's causing delays. Outbound side still looking okay. Eisenhower, there's a disabled vehicle. This is on the inbound side just before North Addison Road. That's blocking the left lane out in the western suburbs. Uh, those are our three issues so far this morning here on a Thursday. Edens and Kennedy are actually looking pretty good, as is Lakeshore Drive. Weather today, lots of sunshine, uh, cool temperatures, uh, warmer inland, uh, but a high of 70 here in the city. Right now it's crystal clear and 58 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 102. Right now it's clear and 75. In sports, the Cubs have won two in a row and ended up splitting their four-game set with the Brewers after winning last night 4-3 to in 10 innings. It was a Christopher Morel sack fly that scored the game winner in the bottom of the 10th. White Sox continue to struggle. They lost to the Blue Jays up in Toronto 7-3. to And it was the Diamondbacks getting shut out by the Braves 6 to nothing. Lastly, the NBA Finals tip off tonight. It'll be the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. Chief. Big crowd at the Triple A, I would imagine. I would imagine, yeah. Well, yesterday, uh, Celtics first time in the finals since I think 2008. Yeah, it's been a while. Was it who's on that team? That's, that uh, yeah, Stevens. Stevens has finally got them there. Yeah, and uh, they are they're they're still really young too. So I think they're maybe even ahead of schedule to get this far. But uh, yeah, the 2008 team was the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen team that they assembled and that won the title. That was the last time I think they've been in the finals at all. Um, but uh, this Jason Tatum and um, and Jalen Brown, those two guys are you talk about you know two modern two way players that are really fun to watch that are kind of interchangeable and uh, they really built a team around those two young guys and they're both really good. What uh, what Tatum, are you, what are you the Bulls? Really matured since since uh, he left Duke. And I, I, I really I, I always liked him as a college player, but he's really come on as a pro. Yeah, I mean, one year in college at, at 19 years old or whatever, uh, there, you definitely still have some work to do on your game, and he's just gotten better every year. The guy from the Bulls yeah. is he is he hurt? I haven't seen I didn't see him the last game where they just wasn't looking. What guy? Tice? Oh, uh, I don't think he plays that much. He was playing real lot. I mean, it depends on the matchup. But for the first couple of rounds, he was playing real lot. Yeah, it depends on the matchup. I mean, he's a he's a a, a backup uh, big man. So uh, against certain teams, he's going to play a lot probably, and against some teams that go small, he probably doesn't see the court. Well, uh, yesterday was uh, two things here, uh, sort of on topic for a second. Anyway, uh, we were up right about here, twenty two, twenty five points in the Spoos and a hundred in Nasdaq, and all of a sudden we turned south. And and I was my brother and I are going. What, what what how do we just lose three hundred points in the Nasdaq? And a couple of numbers came out, but I didn't take them all that seriously. But obviously, other people did. There's something here it was called the Amber. It was the Amber Heard Johnny Depp for it. Uh, it could could <laughs> be that too. Um, hey, you know, Chicago this weekend we had 
one five-person shooting, one four and two threes. They're not even. We don't even get the news for five-person, four-person. Yeah, it's nothing. It you know I, that's a great comment, and I know you want to talk about Diamond, but let me let me just digress just briefly on that. You you can see how the the very real anti-Second Amendment hysteria gets whipped up, and and really the focus is not. And I don't understand this. The focus is not on the, the conditions that, that are responsible for the vast majority of shooting deaths, murders in the United States, but rather on these isolated incidents. And, and it's because the isolated incidents are scary. You know, they're they're horrific. They're not isolated um, here. No, they're not isolated in Chicago. They're not isolated in a bunch of places. Yeah, it's but, not, not but, just here. Matter of fact, one of my guys I do business with is someone in Carolina. He goes. What are you shipping it down here? We had a bunch of shootings down here this weekend. Yeah, it, it so so the the um, the focus on on Uvalde and 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 these other places is is just straight up fear mongering. I, I had a discussion with um, with, with a, a a family member on this on this issue, and she was she was in hysterics, just you know. Oh my God! You know we we tolerate killing children. This is horrible event. And I and I said this is I hate to tell you this, but Uvalde is about a month of shootings of children that you see in Chicago on a on a normal basis. And and unless unless we're prepared to grab grapple with that issue, uh, I, I, you know these these uh, mass quote unquote mass shootings by by psychopaths are are are, are really not the issue. They're terrible. They're horrific. They get people all fired up, but but they are not they are not the the source of most of the carnage that uh, that that we should be focused. No, on. They're, they're not. But it's it is it's a question of of any sort of common sense mentality, and there and there just isn't any. I mean, I actually had the the, the fortune uh, last week. I went up and I you know every Sunday morning there I am buying my gas and getting coffee at the miners. Uh, buying gas more expensive every week, by the way. So uh, the guy across the street from Audrey's here. What's, what's the average? What's the average price in Chicago? Well, if you, in the burbs, you're you're five fifteen. In the city, it's five seventy, maybe sixty. Yeah, like it's uh, yeah, it's it's approaching six dollars in the city. Yeah, that, uh, that doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised with the burb prices. It's about four. I think I'm paying four twenty a gallon at Costco here. Well, thirty three percent is tax in Chicago. Sure. And it's like twenty percent outside of Chicago and Cook County. So that, that, and if you do try to go to the Costco here to save, you know, thirty cents or whatever it is a gallon, you're going to have to wait in like a twelve car line per yeah, pump. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me either. Uh, we see something similar here. Well, we're we're talking um, about the shooting yeah. in Texas. Guys, okay, yeah, go on, go on, Chief. Sorry. Sorry. So all of a sudden, one of the Palos Park coppers comes by, and we start BSing with him, because of course, you know. I, I sort of knew the guy from softball, whatever. And uh, we, we, we were talking for a half hour, and we started talking about the stuff in uh, Texas. And he says, "Well, you know, I'm a, I have, I've had guns." And he goes, I, "We have a gun just like that in the trunk, locked up in a case, just in case there's ever a something like that here. We have something." He goes, "But it's never come out of the case as long as I've been, you know, a, a, a policeman. I, I know how to use it. I practice with it." But he says, "You know." Because without getting any politics and, and gun control or anything like that, going against the AR, NRA or anybody, he goes, how the hell are you sitting in some store 
and some kid comes in damn near on his 18th birthday and buys two of these things with 300 rounds, and you don't say, what the bleep? I mean, how, how does an adult not say, wait a minute? <laughs> you know, well, how, how does that not happen? Or, are we totally devoid of any sort of common sense or what? Well, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, there's, there's a couple of issues. First of all, this kid, this kid had red flags hanging off him for months about, about what kind of a person he was. A second, the question is, where does an 18-year-old get the money? I mean, he paid $2,000, I think, for, for one of those guns. Where does the kid get that, the money to purchase that? And how was that, how was that facilitated? Well, when you, when you live um, at home and you don't see anybody ever, it's not like you're spending on beer or girls. No, and uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, a Texas, it, Texas, I would think it's not that unusual to have teenagers that are, or, you know, 18 year olds purchasing guns or, or carrying. I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, had, was, had a, his friend, uh, maintain and keep the gun. It, he was actually, that kid was actually scrupulous in following the law. But, but, you know, he, he was a teenager who, who wanted access to one of those things and, and, you know, did it, did it properly, actually a responsible user. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know what the I don't know what the answer is. I, 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 I know that it's it, it's, it's a question. I, I, I think of, what's happening. I, I I will tell you something that I haven't heard anybody else say for a while. But but you know when your education system is demonizing you know half your population as as you know the male oppressors and and focusing and and, and I, I I don't know what kind of high school this kid went to, but I can tell you that that my my nephews. And and, his, and and my own kids who went through you know went through high school public high schools you know every one of the, every one of them the boys came out not not happy about the way they were being portrayed and to the extent that we demonize a, a portion of the population like this you're gonna you're gonna hit a resonant chord with a with a certain number of those people that says you know I'm I'm gonna well, Lou, the you know the let loose my nihilistic. You know who the uh, most people, the most the person most likely to die of gun violence. I uh, you mean in terms of what demographics? Yeah, yeah. It'll be a young black male. No, 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 not at all. Not even close. It's a it's an older white male in a rural rural area that, that shoots himself. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Not murder. Overall, overall, yeah, yeah. killed by a gun. Sure, that's right. There are more suicides by gun than there are yeah. than there are homicides. Well, anyway, what I, I, uh, I mean, I don't, but, but yeah, I mean, to, go to, your, to your point, I. Every time something like this happens, we look back and, and note that there were, were laws that had somebody been enforcing them could have. Stop this! Well, sure, and, and or somebody even I mean, with a little, I, little common sense noticing somebody just just like you, you see it on TV, and it's all, it's the only place it is. Remember the the movie Airplane, where the, where the, where the, the guy who actually gave a crap, the, the policeman, and not the policeman don't. We noticed the guy carrying the the bomb in the briefcase in a different way, and immediately perked his ears up and did a background check on the guy. And they knew he had the bomb. That you don't see that. I mean, people are not noticing anything. I mean, it's it, it, you, you just want to let it all walk by. But but it's it's also, I mean, how can I say this? I could stand to lose a couple of pounds working on it, 
But if I ever want to feel skinny, all I got to do is go to Wisconsin State Fair. I feel like a rail, you know, uh, on a relative basis. But we know in the NRA, I mean, uh, well, we don't know, but the uh, everybody wants a background check for everybody one step below them. Lou, I mean, if if I'm a four-time felon or an IQ of twelve, well, then the, the, it should be a five-time felon and an IQ of ten can't get a gun. I mean, nobody's going to put themselves below the line, right? Of somebody who's capable. Uh, you know, people, you don't can't get a gun. You don't can't get a gun in, in Illinois. Is there anybody with a medical marijuana card? Yeah, I understand that. Hey, I'm, I'm, not sure why that, I'm not sure why those people are proceeding to be touched. I thought. I, I, I well, you know what? You know what, Lou? I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm not, not making a political statement. I guess I am. We'll go and come if you came down to the office now. You know, if you were still in town, you came down to PTI's office or Stocks and Jacks. And you walked over to the expressway, say you parked across the expressway, all you have to do is breathe in. The amount of people that are smoking dope with the windows open, the entire expressway smells like dope. So I, I'm real happy with all the idiots next to me who are <laughs> going 90 miles an hour are all, are all high. I mean, sedated, sedated population. Yeah, well, but, but they're going 90 miles an hour. You don't really want to be sedated when you're doing that. Anyway, uh, this, these numbers that came out yesterday, as, as you turn on the, the uh, financial press, one person after another, like if it's a, uh, a rite of passage, you get your face in front of the TV, um, says we have no chance of a recession. Well, of course, we just had one quarter that was down. And, and we're in the second quarter, it don't look so hot. I don't think it's going to be negative. But, but get a load of this. The reason why this, this number's turned around yesterday, I haven't mentioned this in a long time. You, you remember, we talked about it once. Man, you remember the GDP now, this, this report that goes on daily? Yep. It's in the Atlanta, yep. the Atlanta Fed puts this out and every time a number comes out they adjust their their prediction for this for the current quarter well yesterday the numbers of my brother and i was uh, uh is is some um, the supply index and some construction index and to be perfectly honest i i don't i don't think either one of those is ever really tradable but yesterday uh, evidently it was the, the they just wrapped the uh, estimate of the gdp second quarter from 1.9 to 1.3 in one day on those numbers i'll just read this real quick the GD now model estimate for real GDP growth, seasonal adjusted annual rate, the second quarter of 2022 is 1.3% on June 1st, down from 1.9% on May 27th, which is a huge move over a, over a holiday weekend. After this morning's ISM report on business from the Institute of Supply Manager and this morning's construction spending report from the U.S. Census Bureau, the now cast of the second quarter real personal consumption expenditures growth and real gross declined from 4.7% to minus 6, respectively. And, and, the, and the construction was to a, from a 4.4 positive to an 8.2% negative. A 12% I, swing? Yeah. I had no idea that those numbers, I mean, I don't usually look at the construction numbers that much. I don't see them tradable. I better, w- better wake up, because <laughs> obviously yesterday they were. We, we flipped 300 points in the NASDAQ and 45 points in the SPOOs in 10 minutes. I, mean, I, I was stuck. That, that would that would do it. I, I mean, that that's. I, I, I'm I'm just I'm looking at this and, and I, again I, I I point to a certain element of, of this whole mess that I think is is self inflicted, and and we're you know we're not we're not. It doesn't look like the leadership, and by that I mean the president and the people around him. Are expressing any awareness of, of what is happening on this? They they look like they're throwing their hands up and saying, 
you know, woe is us. What are we supposed to do? And uh, I mean, this is this is your this is your party, Joe. Well, let me. Uh, you, you, let know, me... you elected you elected to deal <clears throat> with exactly this stuff. You you pushed one bill through that made it worse. You've you've restricted our energy production. Yeah, and 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 basically you've empowered the the Russians with with their energy production. And and so you're uh, surprised that, that the price of everything goes up. But and this, everybody this, starts retrenching. I don't accuse you of being one of the new generation. I need it. I need it instantly. People, but yesterday, uh, maybe to ad nauseum, I went through like twenty five. You haven't seen me at a donut shop. Oh god, the uh, I went through like twenty five years of of oil rig ups and downs, and we've gone from like twelve hundred down to three hundred, back to twelve hundred about five times in the last twenty years. And it's always because you know, it, it's becoming boring. I know, but the it, the you know. Oil is very short-term inelastic. It's very long-term elastic. So whenever you have a, a price spike for whatever reason, people start to produce. It takes a while to to ramp up. We're ramping up now about 12 rigs a month, 12 to 20 a month, which is about as fast as we've ever done. But we were down to 240 from 1100 after after oil got to 28 dollars a barrel. That's that's the cause of this. What it got down when 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 the Saudis and the Russians decided to flood the the uh, market with oil to essentially take out or make it uneconomical for our our people in the uh, the fracking area they were successful there were the, the price got down to 28 bucks we went from like 1100 rigs to two something over a period of like 18 months and now when you you can only but you don't just put them in a warehouse and say i can get this thing started again in a week you sell them to other people so just so putting oil rigs together on a weekly basis is a big deal. So I can guarantee you that given given we'll, we'll make we'll make a, a a cup of coffee bet that within two years you're going to see oil prices down unless the you know, whole Ukraine blows up. You're going to see oil prices way down and people in this rig count going down again. That's just the way the industry is. It's always been that way, and now it's worse. I, I'm I'm not I'm not convinced of all of that. I understand that that. We were subject to a, a concerted effort by OPEC to shut down our, our production capacity. That can fight through economic means. But this administration was sending signals from well before the, the election that if they get into power, they were going to work on coming up production. Well, you, you, didn't, well. You, didn't, you didn't sort of let me finish. What's making it worse is that if you and I were in the oil business, we would be very reluctant to throw money at it with these guys in office. Exactly, because we don't know what they're planning on doing. But someone is, you know, the, the you would think. I mean, you know, Lou, if you and I were in, in Congress, I'd, you'd probably be on one side of the aisle, and I'd be in the middle of the aisle. But anyway, we'd have to go to this guy and say, "You've had all these policies, and at the end of the day, the ruble's higher than it was. What is the matter with you? The guy's selling three quarters of the oil he used to sell, and he's getting more money for it. You want the price down, not up, you idiot. I mean, what? what? Yeah. I mean, what, could anything be, be dumber? Is to is to have the price of what the guy's selling go higher? If you want to, if you want to turn the guy off of money. So I'm, I'm my my assessment of the president personally is that he has been 180 degrees out on virtually every foreign policy decision he's ever 
been involved with as a senator or as a politician. I, I actually think we are handling the Ukraine thing about as about as well as we can right yeah, I do, now. I do too. I do too. I'm a, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous about some of the weapon systems that we're pushing forward. But you know, I hearken back to the Vietnam War when the Soviets were pumping every high tech weapon system they could they could push out the door onto North Vietnam to shoot at us. So 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 that they could shoot at us. Their SAM systems, their radar systems, their artillery, their tanks, you know, the, the, the Soviets were, were basically proxy warring with the North Vietnamese and, and supplying them. And so from that perspective, I look at what we're doing and I think, okay, I understand, you know, I understand the, the rationale and there's a, there's a historical precedent for it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that it's going to, it's going to matter in the, in the long run because I think the, the Russians have finally figured out what they need to do to, to prevail, but um, the, the the bottom line is that our, from a strategic perspective, not a tactical perspective of just giving these guys weapons, but from a strategic perspective, you would think we would be working to deal the Russians a a death blow on the one area where we can really hurt them, and that's and that's energy, but but we're not. As you just said, I mean, we've actually strengthened their energy. Right, but you can't. When it's not like uh, Iran or somebody. Well, they have oil too, but but Russia has stuff that people want, and and we're, we and we don't. We're not willing to. You know, give me on law enforcement. If somebody ships the uh, the rapidity. I mean, we're not on any time, but I went through it yesterday. There's a fascinating article here. Some lady named Pippa something something. All these charts writing. The, the rapidity in like five or six weeks of the entire world oil market has changed and how the the tankers are now piling through the Suez Canal going to India and China when Europe has dropped down like 80% of their oil they get from Russia they're not getting now. So, But Russia is, a, is going right to tanker and, and uh, they're probably not sell, sending out as much but it doesn't matter because the price is up two times three, two and a half times and they're going through the Suez Canal going to India and China. Now, it's going to get to India and China, and somebody's going to put a different flag in the damn thing, and it's going to be over here. And you, and you know damn well that if somebody went, some some nerdy dude went down and, and checked the oil it, going into some uh, refinery in Louisiana or, or, or New Jersey or someplace and said, hey, this is really Russian oil, we have no intention of arresting the guy. I mean, we, 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 we don't... Our, there's now, people. This goes, this goes back to something that I uh, I heard from one of my professors when I was back at the Air Force Academy in the 1970s. When, when you know, as you might remember, we were just coming off a huge oil shock, an oil, an oil embargo by yeah, the yeah. United States. They, they basically tried to shut our economy down. And, and he, he said, this is why it's important for, for, for a nation state like, like the United States to maintain as much of an edge as it possibly can in every area that it can, because you never know what kind of a challenge is going to come up, and you never know what aspect of soft power, that is non-military power, we need to be able to flex. And, and instead, we, we've actually systematically, <clears throat> over the last you know few years, worked at degrading our, our ability to project soft power. Absolutely. And, and have, have weakened that dramatically so that now 
you know, we're we're looking at, at, at influencing events by being an arms dealer. We give we give and people that's our, that's our sole way of doing it. We give people tax advantages to take stuff other places, look, that we need. It's we're 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 out of our mind in a lot of this stuff. But Well, I, I just this is this is just one of those things where, you know, we we ramped up our, our energy production to such an extent that we literally could dictate to to you know countries, okay, turn off the Russian gas and and we'll you know, we'll backfill it. We were never um, I, we never we never quite made quote energy independence, even though people but we were close enough that if we had to we could go without other people's stuff. We we could, but more importantly, yeah. Chief, we could we could backfill our allies' requirements. Yes. At least for a short period of time. Right. And and we're not you know, we we've weakened our ability to do that. So anyway, I know we're about out of time. But I just thought I'd, I thought I'd reference that because you know you you're right. You, you never know where the where the the soft spot is going to occur, and you have to be able if you're if you're if you want to be the empire like we are, you, you have to be able to. Well, but that. it also has its downside. I mean, uh, I'm going to say that if you and I went and well, you got no way more about this than me, but if we did some real hi- history World War Two. I'm going to say one of the top three causes was not was was oil. And when they, the Treaty of Versailles, when the, when the conference broke up, 95% of the then oil, known oil reserves were on one side of the table. And if there was ever anything that guaranteed a redo of, of World War One, it was probably that. Well, that's certainly true with respect to Japan. Yeah, yeah. All right, but you take care of yourself. Uh, one of these days, you got you got to write down for me if I ever get to London and go to those places. They sound neat. SB Futures up 21, NASDAQ Futures up 81. Be back, Mr. Danjanitis from Kratos Capital. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! 
Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. There's something happening here. Hello, North Bay Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Schmidt Weber, SP Futures up 21, Nasdaq Futures up 83. Mr. Dan Janita from Credit Capital. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right, except I'm getting myself a little education here on the turnaround yesterday because I was figuring, well, where the hell did that come from? It came after these economic numbers, ones that I never really look at, supply stuff and uh, and the Census Bureau's uh, uh, whatever construction spending. It, but then I looked, my brother said, hey, go to this Atlanta Fed thing, this GDP now. They, they dropped the, the growth this quarter like six-tenths of a percent on, on those two numbers. It, did you did you even give them a second thought? Or are you, then you're going to say, yes, you watch them all the time just to embarrass me here. But No, I'm going to say just the opposite. Don't watch them at all and don't would not give them a second thought. I'm paying, paying more attention to what's, uh, what we can see on the horizon it's, and um, – you know the inflation is definitely here still, and and wage inflation is really the main thing I'm looking at. You know we talked about this, you know, going back to you know two years ago, and prior to COVID and the slowdown and all that initially, um, the one thing that we were looking at as bond people and as economists, we were really paying attention to when are we going to see um, wage inflation, and it wasn't happening. And generally in this part of the cycle, it starts to happen. And that's when you know you've approached the later stage of the cycle. Well, we have it now. And it's, it is absolutely sustainable because there was a number that did come out that I think is significant that, um, for every 1.9 job, op- no, there's 1.9 jobs, job openings per person basically right now. And we've had a real shift in the focus of that sort of get back to work focus. It's been much slower than than it it would have been in past cycles, and it's also been much slower than I think um, the economy can sustain in terms of continued growth. So, I, what I'm really paying attention to is is the wage numbers. Um, inflation, you know, they uh, oftentimes um, people are looking at gas prices as a proxy. I sort of think they're more of a of an ends, you know, rather than sort of the cause. I think they're 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 going to continue to be a cause for slowdown in transportation, you know, whether it be people driving, but more importantly, you know, cruise ships, um, air, air, airlines, and the freight that um, ships your goods. Um, so, that, so yes, gas is concerning, but wages are more concerning to me still at this point. And what um, uh, when you when you say that it. it I'm going to say the last the last part of the last inflationary period. Well, there's been a couple of little ones, but the one in the 70s and 80s. I, I don't I don't disagree with your 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 uh, wisdom on on the wage inflation, but it's it's totally different. It's it's people that are leaving jobs and going to another job. It's not it's not like we had the uh, back then where we had and this is not a slap at anybody in terms of unions. I, I'm a, I'm pro union. Everybody knows, but. Uh, I'm going to say that 50% of the com- country back then, maybe not that high, 40%, was unionized with a with a solid cost of living adjustment thing in the contract. So, I mean, right. it, it, I mean, we don't. That's 
it's not the same as then. I mean, nobody remembers that probably. But when, when you say there's wage inflation, it's not like that. That when when the, even when the inflation uh, started to wind down, the the CPI numbers that lag were causing people to get raises probably when they didn't deserve deserve them because it really because you know because inflation it's here before they tell us it's here and it's gone before they tell us it's gone. I mean, it's just the way our government works, in my opinion. So, but I don't think you see that. In, you, you don't have this. In other words, I, I don't know anybody with a cost of living adjustment other than a, than a teacher or somebody who works for the city. I mean, do you? Right. Yeah. No. And, and it really isn't. You're, you're right. It's not cost of living adjustments. This is a supply demand situation where, in order to fill those positions, companies have to pay more. And it's just that simple. And, and there are people moving because they go from place to place. Um, you think more on the on the you know the lo- the level jobs, the lower paying jobs um, in retail. But it's it happens all across, you know, all up the line. And um, you know, I'm I'm actually flying to Boston tonight for my college reunion, and and just talking to the airline and some changes they've made and some cutbacks they made to my return trip, without even notifying me. Um, they um, what's happening if you think of the airline? I think it's the simplest example. They give um, they have had trouble with with you know a lot of trouble with and. Um, both pilots and, and flight attendants and, and gate people and, and finding um, employees in general. Well, what they've done is, and they have higher um, fuel costs, what they've done is they've cut the number of flights so that every flight you take now is going to be crowded, not necessarily because more people are traveling, which is what you hear, um, but because there are fewer flights. So the... In, in cutting the number of flights, they're able to pay more, not only to their employees to attract them back, but also they're able to pay more, um, they're, they're able to demand more from their passengers. So as long as, as people have the cash to pay the higher fares, the airfares, um, they're going to. And the, what I, what I think of when I think of this, and I have a few other examples as well that are, that I think people can relate to, um, is a contraction in the economy, is a slowdown. Because what fewer flights mean to me is not so much that we're going to go into recession immediately, but it means that we're seeing a contraction in economic growth. Same thing would hold for your local restaurant. You know, they, they used to be open seven days a week, used to have no trouble finding staff. Now they have to pay staff more. So they cut hours, but they increase food prices. And by the way, their, their cost of goods, like their food prices are higher, so they're going to pass that on to the consumer. Well, the consumer that used to be able to go seven nights a week is only able to go five nights a week because they've cut the number of, of nights they're open, and they've also cut the hours. And so that way they stay busier and productive, but their costs are being offset by the higher prices they're able to try, um, pass through. So that I think that is more of what's happening. It's the manufacturing facility that had three shifts that's now downsized to two shifts. They were having that they you know they lost a bunch of employees. So what they're doing now is paying say the daytime employees more, but maybe not as much as they used to pay the third shift. But now that third shift is gone or it's not, you know. So I guess what I'm saying is I see a contraction happening. And that means slower growth. And that's actually just looking at um, sort of commonsensically around and seeing, you know, what is happening, why are prices higher, um, because you're hearing these stories that, on one hand, there's still a, little ca- a lot of cash on the side, but on another hand, more people are living paycheck to paycheck. So 
those people that do have the cash that do still want to travel, that do still want to eat out, um, are, are going to have to pay uh, more and are willing to pay more. And we know that because there's a backlog. Uh, same thing with the goods that are being produced in the in the factory. So, so I I still think that wage inflation is the key here. Um, and until that comes down, I don't think we're going to see a slowdown. I mean, we're going to see a slowdown in the economy, but I don't think we're going to see um, the, at least in my opinion, a major shift in, in what's going on in the economy. And I don't know how we, you you always bring up terrific stuff because unlike I'm going to say this nicely. Unlike most people, you actually see what's going on around you. Most, yes. other, most other people have just a, a view of, uh, you know, whatever. They, at least they say on the trading floor, some people make things happen, some people watch things happen, and other people wonder what happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what you brought up, I, I, I just wonder if, if part of this, well, first of all, part of the, of the help wanted posters out there are just people hoping to get people at the old rate. They don't really have an opening. I, you know, I just... You, but the other part is somewhere along the line, and I'm looking here, what you just said, I think we mentioned this last week, that the savings per family on my on my big chart here, the U.S. debt clock, it ballooned from about 7000 to fifty five when all those checks went out and all the PPI stuff. Yes. Well, last week when you were on, I think I, I, I uh, bored you with this, savings per family was like thirteen two twenty five. Well, now it's thirteen zero four nine. It's going down every single week. Yes, and, uh, and that's a good number. To, that would be a good number to follow, I think. Yeah, and, and no, it's, but it's it's a mean. So if somebody you know has the million in the bank, he's going to screw with everybody. But I honestly think that the uh, the median income here for individual person in in, uh, in two thousand was thirty one eight. I think this is a little low, but these these guys have the median income now at like thirty six. This is over a twenty year period, and yeah, and, and, I, and I'm going to say that the that the People on the top floor have probably tripled theirs. I mean, there, there was a, a real problem with twenty right. years or thirty years of shipping the stuff to China, where the, the the bottom end of the labor force was always, yeah, I can go get a guy, a really good guy who shoves up every day. Maybe he's, you know, he might be Hispanic, he might be whatever he is. He's going to come in here and he'll he'll chop onions for me in this place for ten bucks an hour, and I'd be happy doing it. And by the way, I'm charging you know eighty bucks for a steak at Charlie Trotter's or someplace. I mean, right. I mean, you yeah. know, you know that that's swell, but I don't think it was going to last forever. Right. Part of the, the that breakdown right now is it never should have been there in the first place. But but Absolutely. right now, but right now, people are saying, "Hey, take that ten dollars an hour and shove it where the sun don't shine." It's cost me ten bucks on the toll to get here. Not right. to mention five hours. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> the, the guy in the building here just bought a bought a car, a junky used car, and it was like seven hundred hours to get the for the taxes, for the title, for uh, the city sticker, for the parking thing in front of his house. God's sake, what is that? Seventy seven hours you're giving to the state just to transfer the car over to you? Right. I mean, I mean the stuff didn't even match up. So, so I think there's some of that going on Absolutely. Now, now, now too, Dan. And, and and you know, and I I don't know how much, but what I I don't think it's you know, back in the day, like you know, we're giving the guys a, a forty cents an hour raise just because last month's CPI was. I mean, I, I don't see that except in the cities, the, the unions, the, right. the city. But, but yeah, you're right. It's it's it's, a, it's like all kinds of stuff just got that you that you mentioned very eloquently. By the way, all, everything just kind of got tossed in the ring at the same time, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, and that's where I think a lot of the confusion comes in for people too. Is is trying to understand 
you know, sometimes my, my thought is, well, you're asking that, that much or, or, you know, um, my niece is looking for a new car and, and just the, you know, prohibitive cost of purchasing a car and she, her and her husband have very good incomes. So it isn't, uh, you know, it, you, you know, five years ago, it certainly, or even two years ago, wouldn't have been, it would have been a very easy decision and they would already have a new, the new car, but now they're having to pay considerably more for the same vehicle. Um, so it's, it's that, you know, it, it's that type of, uh, thing that the rental cars, rental car rates, um, you know, a hundred bucks a day for, for your economy rental car. There, there's going to be a point where that's going to squeeze, you know, even those people who have some cash just saying, is this really, you know, the cost benefit of this really worth me taking this trip? So I do think, um, <clears throat> I do think we have a lot of that going on. There is one point I wanted to, um, mention and it, and I, it seems as if everybody must have been listening listening to this call last week when I talked about the spreads on high yield. Yep. Because we talked about the yield advantage um, being 475 uh, basis points or 4.75% over U.S. Treasuries. That yield in one week, Tom, has dropped to 400. Wow. So it's gone from 475 to 400. And there, so what that tells me is two things. One is people are still looking for yield. You mean you mean the, the spread, the rate, the rate itself hasn't... Is the rate dropped as well? The rate has dropped as well, right? So the so the um, the the there's been a demand for high yield bonds and there's demand for for, for higher yielding instruments. Period, because they're they're few and far between, um, and it's also a, a sort of a uh, you know a not a, not necessarily a flight to quality, but somewhat of a flight to quality um, of people moving from um, riskier investments to to bonds um, just to have a more stable uh, you know more stable cash flow more stable income and there are some ideas out there but as I mentioned the inventory of of high yield is very slim because a lot of those that paper as we call it a lot of those high yield bonds are put away they're put away by insurance companies they're put away by pension funds so for the individual investor it is difficult I mean because of my background in bonds you know at Creatus Capital we're able you know we have other sources that a lot of retail investors don't have but just that you know spread has always been significant to me and I guess what it tells me is just that shift um, and also the, the you know the demand for income which is still there um, but simultaneously you know we did see a little bit of a a run-up as well. I mean, the five-year Treasury this morning was at 293. Um, we are going to see two more rate hikes, and you know, the one that is coming is two weeks from now, and then the next one is in July. So we can at least look out that far and pretty be pretty sure that we're going to see another hundred basis points, and that's part of the reason that short rates are going higher. So at some point, you know, as I mentioned last week. You know, shorter high yield bonds make a lot of sense in here, and that's really our bread and butter. And that I think starting later, in maybe starting in um, July or even after the the second increase, um, if there's any doubt, we're going to have it. Um, you'll start getting paid to own bonds on the shorter end. You're getting paid something, so there'll be a shift to quality if the concerns in the economy continue. Which I believe they will continue. Speaking of which, before let me interrupt real quick and say, why don't you comment on uh, since you're sort of on that road anyway? What do you make of your your, your bosom buddy Jamie Diamond's comments about uh, brace yourself for an economic hurricane caused by the Fed and the war? 
I don't just I don't totally disagree with them. I think his words are maybe a little stronger than mine would be. But I, I did hear his comments, and I and I think there's I don't know if I would call it necessarily a hurricane, but I think it's going to be a strong storm, and it's and it's only going to be you know they keep talking about the the Fed having the ability to have a soft landing if they time this just right. Um, but there's different influences now, as you mentioned, and I totally agree than there were during our last major inflation hike. You know, if we go back to the to the seventies and eighties, that um, there's very different influences. It was harder to find work, for example, um, and that you know that was one of the um, components. But again, I, that being said, um, I'm in his camp. I think generally, um, maybe just a tropical storm rather than a hurricane. <laughs> Well, what's um, and, and, and in terms of how long it lasts, I think that's another question. It it really takes, and I've heard this a little bit um, from others, and I've been saying it, it, you know, right from the beginning that really people need to get back to work. Because the more people that are out there working, and the more people that are productive, that's going to help with the productivity of our economy. And we don't have, um, you know, we have supply chain issues or supply side issues, if you will. But right now, we don't have demand side issues. Well, why don't we? Why don't we? This is a, a this is a suggestion because you you brought it up every time you bring something up. It causes me to think. Why in God's name don't we give pilots now that people are living to a hundred, let them fly one more year than the mandatory retirement age? We, we have no business those guys sitting at home taking a check when we need pilots. When we're talking, what's the what, what do they have to retire at sixty two? They can't fly till they're sixty three. Give me a break. Or I don't know if it's sixty two or sixty. I don't think it's sixty five. It's earlier than that. What, why can't we, even if it's six months, we have a problem right now. What, what, what are we doing? Do we have any, no ability to, to use our head anywhere? I, I totally agree. You know, and I worked for Alpha for a few years, the Airline Pilots Association, and, and it was a big issue back then um, when I worked there. That was, uh, 60 was the mandatory age, and that was, you know, a lot of um, pilots were, were um, cons- you know, raising questions about that. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the time you want the experienced pilot when you're flying. When you're, when you're a passenger, you want the experienced guy who's been through or woman who's been through all kinds of um, you know situations that knows how to handle them so from from I think the customer's point of view or the passenger's point of view I don't think anybody would would not want it and then I think some of it has to do with just you know maybe needing you know glasses or maybe eyesight and maybe reflexes but um, I don't know I you know, it's why you got to pull. Cool I, I would say a few extra, a few years isn't going to make that much difference. Well, I'm, I'm talking like six months or a year. Why don't it start small? Yeah. Hey, the other thing, I agree. Yeah, but absolutely. I really, I, I do want to ask you though. Uh, at the end, I mean, we, you, you and I do complimentary sort of stuff. I mean, you're you're finding the best company at the at the best rate that you're comfortable with the place, so you're getting a little more yield, which without without the risk that's normally associated with that, and that's that. That to me is is what you seem to be doing really well, and I mean what I'm doing. I mean I do the the, uh, the protected stuff. So this year we've actually done real well. I don't know if anybody appreciates it, but our know, market's down 25 percent. We're down like two or three, you know. So yeah. it's still not winning. Yeah. But I mean if if you read what this you know Jamie Diamond says here, and I'm not you know uh, you know I don't genuflect at the altar of Jamie or anything like that, but he has a point. I mean what wh- what if the Fed is I mean, you, uh, a guy who knows a hell of a lot about this, are talking about, you know, the 50 basis point. You're, you're still assuming, assuming, hoping, praying that the Fed is still in control. I am starting to think, and I think Mr. Diamond here, maybe without ever admitting it, 
is is thinking with me. I don't know if they are in control. I, mean, I don't know what happens if all of a sudden by the end of the year, this rate is like seven and a half because they're totally. I mean, it it your your stuff is going to be way better than anybody else's, and so right. is mine. But we're still not going to have a good year. We'll, we'll have a really strong relative year, and, yeah. and, and I think preservation of capital. Is, I think it's really important to mention preservation of capital is extremely important. People often forget until because we haven't seen you know a major sell off in the in the in the markets, but people forget that once you've lost say twenty percent, it's not a question of just earning back twenty percent to make to break even. You have to earn back more than twenty percent at that point to break oh, yeah. even. You might have to earn back twenty three percent. So there, you know, it's not a um, it isn't an even um, relationship, and losing that's why losing is much worse. Um, preservation of capital should continue to be, I think, the main, especially for people approaching retirement or in retirement, that should be one of your main goals, and maybe that shifts. You know, maybe you take a little less out of the growth side and put a little more towards preservation of capital right now because less opportunities in growth and less likely when we are seeing, it's really clear we're seeing a contraction, somewhat of a contraction in the economy, um, and be really careful looking at those labor numbers because that oh, yeah. I think sometimes press will take those labor numbers and say, "Well, we still have strong labor situation." Yeah, but that's that—that's actually also the culprit because, as I mentioned earlier, and I and I still believe it's a big cause. We're gonna ha- we're gonna see higher wages, and wa- higher wages does not necessarily turn into good news for our economy. Um, if you look across lines, it, it also turns into higher costs for the companies. It turns into higher um, prices for the consumer um, and you know so there has to be I do agree I, I like the old model like the union model with the cost of living raise because it's very simple to follow and it, it's very commonsensical and uh, where we are now I think is there is a um, disconnect between wages and and um, what's you know what it costs to live if you will the current cost of living so uh that's going to take some time to work out, but but in the meantime, during this period of workout, if you will, we're going to see slowing. We're not going to see, you know, a lot of growth. And people talk about. I would agree with the people who say move towards higher quality names, but I would not have the same, you know, expectations. I think the, the big thing for a lot of investors is to really shift your expectations. Um, we're not going to have the same kind of growth for the reasons we we discussed earlier. Well, I think there's you always want to be in, even if you don't hedge at all, you always want to be in in some of the best stocks and not in the most yes. speculative ones if things change. But for anybody to even think for a second that they're going to own a stock that if the interest rates go to eight percent is not going to get re- repriced, nothing wrong with the company, just repriced. I mean, I, I, right. want, I want what you're smoking. I mean. uh Right. So you got to be the good stuff, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, paying attention re- right now is really important, I think, in trying to understand because things are changing so quickly. And as I mentioned, just looking at that spread on high yield bonds in one week to have dropped 75 basis points or almost 1%. Um, and again, if you bought them at 475 and they narrowed to 400, that means you've made money as the, as the investor. Um, you know, you've, you've yep. made, you know, whether it be, um, You've made money relative to the market. You gave us a good list of stuff last week. Uh, you want to add one to the list? But I have one more serious question. But if there anything you gave us, uh, I still have them here. Uh, the ones you gave us last week in, uh, in the one, 
You got yeah, one that's in? done over one that's done well over the past week, and we actually met with them um, this past week again. We met with senior management is, is Portland General Electric, and that would be a it's a utility that I would say is very stable, but I think they're extremely well positioned for the quote clean energy world. You know, supposedly they have more they source more clean energy than any other public utility in the in the, the country. We our analysis has shown that they're still undervalued. They pay a dividend. Um, the, I think the dividend yield is around four ish percent. I mean, it was when we were buying it. Um, the price came down a little bit, so I think there's opportunity there. Um, in addition to the other names that we mentioned, we are researching a few other companies right now, and I do have another conference coming up soon. So we'll, we should have some new names um, here in the next couple of weeks. Um, beyond that, but we're, you know, we like the names that we're in right now. We've, they've performed well. They seem to do well on the days the market's down. They continue to pay decent, decent income. Um, we've raised a little cash in here as well. Um, we've been doing that for, you know, since the beginning of the year. Um, I wouldn't go to all cash, but I, I would definitely say that this is a good time to have some gunpowder because yeah. when you're, when you're, um, some powder because when you're, when it comes time to, um, when we do find those right opportunities, um, which I think are going to come over the summer, um, it'll be time to, um, you know, you'll have the cash to um, to participate and also to get in, I think, at the, I don't want to call it the bottom, but at good prices. Yeah, what are you, good yields. real quick, we've only got a couple minutes and we're not going to be able to, maybe next week we can talk about this one. What do you, what do you, what do you make of, the uh, reason why I'm going to ask this is because I know of a building downtown here that just got their new tax bill. The one from a few years ago or whatever was two forty. This one's four hundred. Wow! And they have four four floors empty. Uh, wow! Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, people. Some states are flush because they got a whole bunch of money from the government. What What are we going to do if we have to figure out how to? Clo- I won't say balance the budget or if we're going to close this gap at all. And what are we going to do if this interest rate does go to five? I got it a hundred billion a year per point. Is there three hundred billion a year per point that these guys are paying? I don't see how the hell. I don't see how we can, we we manage to suck that out of everybody at this juncture. But we're gonna they're gonna have to somehow. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it's it's definitely a big problem. And 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 in, you're talking about the building having empty floors. It's the issue of um, working remotely versus coming in the office. I know our industry as a whole has you know Goldman Sachs. I think has led the charge, but it's it's our industry as a whole has been back to work. You know, it's it's been a move towards back to work. A lot of the jobs that are coming to market are the ones that where people can work remotely are going very quickly. The ones where people would have to relocate are going hard because the cost, obviously the cost of moving plus the cost of of um, getting a new apartment or buying a new house is, is very high right now. I think we're going to see a shift in that over the next few months Unfortunately, the you know the way that um, buildings are appraised or houses are appraised is generally based on past data. It's not necessarily what it's worth today. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so so it, it, that that catches up in a negative way to the to the owner of the um, property. So, but I do think property will shift just just as the stock market is seeing a sell off. And what is the norm? Nine to eighteen months before the economy sees a slowdown. Mm-hmm. Real uh, estate tends to lag, so we're going to see the same thing on the other side for for real estate. It's coming. It's, there's no question it's coming because, as you mentioned, <clears throat> there's a huge affordability issue, and you're paying for, you know, not full 
capacity, not full productivity. So that that gap has to narrow. The gap yeah. between productivity and price. <laughs> All right, what do we do? Dan, take and, care of your, take care of yourself, bud. Thank you very much. S P futures up eighteen. Yep. And I'm gonna take a look at this Portland GE. Uh Nasdaq futures up sixty three. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Matt Weber on the board. SP futures up 13, leaking from before, and Nasdaq futures up 46. Part of this, Maddie, probably is because the private payroll number came in at 128 in May. Slowest, slowest one of the recovery so far. We got Dow futures are up 100, uh, about 110. Over in Asia, Nikkei down 44.2 percent. Shanghai up 13.4 percent. Hang Seng, however, down a full uh, percentage point at 212, uh, 212.81 down. It's, it's 1 percent. We're in Europe, we've got 
Uh, the DAX up on 11.8 percent. FTSE was closed. I don't know sure why. Uh, CAC around up 74. It's 1.2 percent. Uh, U.S. Yesterday, Dow was down 176. S&P down 30. Nasdaq down uh, 86. So we're trying to make that up today. Uh, bonds down three basis points, 2.90. The bond up two basis points, 1.20. Got to be a high there for many years. Uh, Japan up one, 2.25, where they've seemingly been forever. Uh, oil down a buck three to 114.23. Brent down 92 cents, 115.37. Natural gas up 32 cents, over nine bucks again. 902. Ouch! If we're home heating, we have to get some firewood, Maddie, or something. Our Bob uh, unchanged at uh, at four dollars and six cents. We've got gold up 12 dollars now, 18.60. It's a pretty good rally. Silver up 32 cents, that's 1.5%, 22.24. Copper up 16 cents, 4.49. And we've got Bitcoin down 127 at 30,0.47. Maybe we have for traffic weather sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. For whatever reason this morning, we've had all kinds of accidents and stalled vehicles uh, throughout the area that are causing different delays. Uh, the first three crashes that I read about last hour have all been cleared only to be replaced by some new problems. On the Tri-State northbound, just before East St. Charles Road, there's a disabled vehicle blocking the right lane, and that's causing a a significant slowdown on uh, both the Tri-State and the outbound uh, Eisenhower uh, are affected due to that disabled vehicle. Then just uh, southwest of there, there's a significant crash on Route 83, which is Kingery Highway northbound at 22nd Street, a crash blocking the two right lanes. And this is uh, causing delays of up to 30 minutes trying to navigate around that. And it has, uh, looks like uh, Route 83 backed up to Ogden Avenue, which is uh, US 34. Uh, so a long way. All kinds of issues there in the western suburbs. And then just south of there on Route 83 at 73rd Court, uh, there is a crash, too. So a bunch of uh, issues in the western burbs uh, that are causing delays. Edens and Kennedy starting to get backed up. No crashes to report. Uh, same for the Eisenhower and Stevenson. Earlier crash on the Dan Ryan uh, local lanes at 43rd Street is all clear, but uh, a lot of uh, congestion coming in from the south side, too. So give yourself plenty of time if you're heading in this morning. Weather today, lots of sunshine, mild temperatures, a high of 70 in the city. It'll be a bit warmer than that in inland. Right now it's crystal clear and 59 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 102. Right now it's clear and 76. In sports, Cubs beat the Brewers 4-3 to last night in 10 innings to split their four-game series. White Sox lost to the Blue Jays 7-3. to They've dropped the first two games up in Toronto. Diamondbacks were shut out by the Braves, 6-0. And in some sad news, uh, longtime Dallas Cowboys running back and former Bears running back, Marion Barber III. I don't know if you remember him, Chief. I do. He died uh, at the age of 38. I'm not sure how yet, but uh, that just came across uh, earlier this morning. So Marion Barber dead at 38. Chief. Um, John, are you with us? I am, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. How about uh, hanging with us a little bit? Because I have to, when Maddie's here, I have to talk. Some sports because uh, oh, sure. he's 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 the best at it. And I I missed that. Well, other than your scintillating personality, I, I missed your sports acumen more. Uh, <laughs> the two things, uh, but fortunately, we still got him one day a week. Here's I'm going to test you on this one. See how good you guys are. You use guys. Uh, best single season in major league history at each position. Okay. Catcher. Best single season. Now this, now, this is this war that everybody uses, but nobody can calculate. But so we'll say, but I mean, these numbers are real. These guys. Yeah, this is based on war. Best catcher, single season of all time. 
Um, I'm just flat out taking guesses here. I'll say uh, Pudge Rodriguez. Uh, close, Johnny Bench, 1970. Okay, Bench would have been the safe bet. I should have said Bench. We'll get a load of this. 45 home runs, 148 RBI, Gold Glove MVP at age 22. I mean, that's that's uh, as good of a season as anyone can have in any position. Yeah, it's a <laughs> first base. This one you probably should get. Uh, should I get it? I, no one's coming to mind right away. Well, we just had his his his, his day yesterday or today or something. Lou uh, Gehrig. Okay, Gehrig. Oh. 1927. 11-9 war, hit three seventy three with 173 RBIs and 447 total bases. That's a season. Yeah, it is. Good Lord. Yeah, his day is either today or tomorrow, right? Yeah. Uh, Lou Gehrig ALS day in the MLB. Second base. Best second base season of all time. Um, I'm not showing very well here. Uh, what, I mean, it wouldn't be Sandberg's big year he had in no. uh, 84 with the that was close. 40 boy. home runs and 40 stolen bases. They don't bases give you, right? like, the honorable mentions after it. I'm sure if I yeah. dug for Rogers Hornsby. Okay. 1924. Oh. Yeah, I mean, we're, the, we're doing a lot of guys from the 20s and 30s here. Yeah, so. we're going to get, we're going to get more modern here. Well, they're also talking about the, the best, you know, year somebody had. Some of these yeah. guys were, uh, he had a 12.3 war, hit 424, and led the league in 10 offensive categories. That's a lot. Hit 424. <laughs> I don't think Sandberg did that. No. Uh, this one's going to shock you. Third base. Third base, best season of all time. Um, it's got to be one of the steroid guys, right? No. Because, I mean, when people talk about the best third baseman of all time, they talk about, like, Brooks Robinson. We're, and guys no, like we're, that, not, we're talking one year. That weren't big hitters. Right, that's why I'm yeah. thinking of one year. Oh, who was it? Ryan Sano. Sano, okay. 1967, really? and it was matched by Mike Schmidt, Schmidt in 74. Schmidt so would have been a good guess, yeah. But Sano had a huge year. I just know in the 90s, there was a bunch of third basemen that had monster years of like 50 home runs and 100, yeah. you know, whatever RBI. That weren't great, necessarily great Hall of Fame type players, but just had great seasons. Uh, shortstop should be easy. Uh, well, th- again, it's a tie here. Honus Wagner tied by Cal Ripken in 1999, 1991. Wow, okay. Left field, this you, this you should get. Left field, uh, had to have been a Bonds year? No, uh, actually Diaz. Really? Why would I get that? Oh, uh, because he won a triple crown. Yeah, but Barry Bonds is way better than him. Uh, 12.5 war in 67. That's a great year. And the Notre Dame coach said he'd never be a ball player. Wow. How's that for, how's that for something about our place? <laughs> uh, center field, there's a tie here as well. Uh, is it, uh, Mays? Actually, no. Ty Cobb, I didn't even know he played center field. Ty Cobb, 1917, tied by Mickey Mantle in 1957. Wow. Mike Trout's had some big years yeah. in, center, in center as well. Right field you ought to get. Clemente? Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Well, see, I don't consider him a yeah. right fielder. Well, what do you consider him? I don't know. More of a, I mean, pitcher first part of his career. And then I always thought he played, I guess, right field. But I, I thought he played, like, first base, too, and stuff when he got older. Uh, DH. Well, well, there was no DH then. No, but, but in, in 1923, he was he was young and strong. Yeah. Uh, a record, 14.2 war for his position player. Wow. It's 393 with 399 total bases. Led the league in 10 offensive categories. Well, I didn't fare very well in that quiz. No, I, well, better than me, man. I surely wouldn't have picked Ryan Scott. I, I would I would have got Bench and Gehrig, I think. I think Bench was the one I should have gotten for sure. Uh, Gehrig, yeah, that's one in, that you know you would think you would get. But some of those other ones, I mean, talking about Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner, yeah, yeah. Rogers Hornsby. <laughs> well, I know in 67. The, the I wouldn't have guessed Yaz. I mean, that, that wouldn't even have been in my top 10 left fielder. Well, but he but that was that was a year. I mean, there, yeah. it's interesting. That was the year Hawk had a big year that year too, right? In 67 yeah. with the Red Sox. 
Yeah, but I mean, but he was he, he was. I think he won the Benning title with like three hundred or something. It was, it was a year nobody was hitting. But yeah. the pitchers are interesting here, and I'm kind of surprised there's there's one name left out. Well, for the first guy is a guy named Tim Keefe, eighteen eighty three. It's even before Flanagan's time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Walter Jammer, the ones you would guess, I, Dwight Gooden, nineteen eighty five, two hundred seventy six innings, thirteen point three. Wow, yeah, he had a monster year that year. Uh, Steve Carlton in nineteen nineteen seventy two. 346 innings and what he won what 28 or 29 games for a last place team and uh, you know who else another Chicago guy for pitchers yeah 1977 Fergie Bruce Suter oh Bruce Suter when he when he first came up with that uh, split finger nobody could tell you 107 innings 31 saves 1.34 ERA wow I'm curious, though, out of this whole list of people, how did, how did uh, what's his name, his 1968 year not get on here, Bob Gibson? It had to have been close. It had to have been real close. But uh, He had like the one-something ERA? Or yeah, what, in, the, what, in the month of June he had, what, five complete games with, uh, and he, he, out-hit, he out-hit the guys hitting against him or something? <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty cool. But, no, you know, it's, I'm sure everybody's got opinions on all this stuff, but it is... It is pretty interesting. What some of these guys are so spectacular. I mean, you look at an average ball player and how good he is. Well, I think it, the cool thing about WAR, and I know we joke about it, but it is probably the best measurement they have right now. Uh, even though it is hard to calculate, but the cool thing about it is it really made people appreciate Ron Santo even more. Of course, unfortunately, right. it was after he died. Right. But when they really started to to, to move WAR back into the 80s and 70s and 60s and 50s and, and, and further because it, it, you know they started it in the I think 90s and early 2000s and then they just had to keep doing the data right and doing the research and they were like holy cow, holy cow Ron Santo is actually better than we thought he was and he was he was already a great player but it turns out he's one of the all time greats and then of course he gets in well when they're, they're always all the guy wanted to see was to get in the Hall of Fame while he was alive but well there's always you know something I, I always thought I mean you and I talked about it for 12 years is there never was a statistic that sort of matched up your offense and your defense, and this war makes an attempt at doing that. It makes an attempt, yeah. The defense is still really hard to quantify, but they're they're getting better at it. Uh, but they've really, you know, valued the on base percentage more than they used to, um, which is which is good. And they value slugging more than they used to. So valuing the fact that you know a, a three hundred singles hitter is actually not as valuable as a two eighty. You know, home run and doubles hitter, um, because just number number of total bases. I mean, it just makes makes sense, right? It, and but you know, you also need. I mean, baseball is one of those things. You need people on base. I mean, it's, so it's uh, absolutely. But just doing the percentages over the course of the season, a two eighty guy that's giving you you know forty doubles versus a three hundred guy that's giving you you know right. all singles. I mean, it's not even close. Oh, I, I, I get it. Yeah. Except you'd like to have them both. You'd like to have them both, of course. But yeah, but you just. I always thought that like a. I think the guys that get hosed are, are two guys that come to mind are Mattingly and, and, and uh, Mark Grace because they were easily a hit or two taken away from the other team defensively. And if you added that to their batting average, which you really almost should, right, uh, is a is a big deal. I mean, it's rare to get somebody who could hit and you know and play the position. And then how do you? I mean, I don't think there's any, I've ever seen a shortstop anywhere near like Izzy Smith, but you know, offensively he was a pop gun guy, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean Brooks Robinson 
was you know he was spectacular. But even in his he said in his day he wasn't the best. Cleet Boyer was the best. So I mean you know, a lot of times his reputation just kind of kind of goes. But it, it just shows you how good these guys really are. I mean and I would well, like to see Mickey Mantle. I, you know one thing that's weird. I saw a, a, a film of him last week. He gets a home run and he he's visibly limping going around the bases. You, nobody would play like that today. I don't, I don't know what you I mean. You couldn't really fix him in his time. I guess it was either that or the bench. But how do you, how do you play? How do you play when, you, when, you, when you're when you're visibly limping? I mean, I, I don't know. Well, you were talking before the show with me when we were walking in this morning about how uh, baseball players are getting hurt, you know, at a, at a higher clip than they used to, and part of that you think might be some of the training that they do in the offseason and there's probably some truth to that i've heard other people say that too but i also think that uh guys in previous generations were just as hurt as the guys today they just played through it because you know they the money wasn't the same so the teams the investment the teams weren't investing as much in the players and so now i think teams are like we don't want this to turn into a lingering issue why don't you take two weeks off and and get get right and and be ready to go or you know even take a month off and we'll use you down the stretch whereas back in the day they just expect you to play every day right, i don't think you weren't a union member so you didn't have anybody to back you up in any kind of a job action so right yeah. that that too yeah so i mean you you get scenarios where guys are limping around and playing through injuries and it probably hurt their numbers to a certain extent too whereas today you know it seems like every every you know two months or or less a guy is going to take at least a few days off. I mean, that's just the way it yeah. is now. There's no way that, that Cal Ripken's streak's ever getting broken because guys just don't don't play every day anymore. No, and you, you wonder sort of why you don't, but... Right, it doesn't seem to be much percentage in doing it, Tom. You don't get any more glory for doing it anymore anyway. Well, well if, if you're a team... I mean, obviously, from the player's perspective, you play better when you're healthy. I mean, yes. we can all agree with that. But I think a lot of these players would play through some of this stuff. But I think from the team's perspective, if when you're paying a guy you know fifty thousand dollars a year like you were back then or less, uh, maybe you know maybe you don't care as much about them as an investment as when you're paying them twenty five million dollars a year. Right. You're like, I want this guy it's healthy. Course, yeah. right? Well, if you're paying somebody two hundred grand a game, you kind of want him on the field. Well, I agree with that too. Uh, but I mean, th- th- I think that they look at these as guys as investments, and, and they'd rather you play 130 games but be ready, you know, at the end of the season, than pl- than than try to play 162 and then yeah. you're like a shell of yourself by the end of the season. Yeah, I, w- I would I would agree with that because I mean, those, plus those guys they used to fly commercial, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, was, it was nowhere near the same sort of right. You know, I won't say pampering because. They just nobody ever never did the the other way. And the it. money just wasn't the same. No, the money just wasn't there. I mean, they were all night on buses and everything else. Oh right? god, yeah. And, uh, but I just I, when I w- Dr. J and I way back in the day, the only club that was down here, health club, was down Bally's Basement, over by River City. And there was uh, people that wrote all these uh, uh, orthopedic guys wrote all these articles on sports fitness and so forth. And the one guy, the question was, how do you warm up for a sport? He goes, the way you warm up for every any sport. So don't, don't be having people like leaning on your hamstrings and things like that. Like you see, that's, he goes, that's crazy. I have more people in here injured from stretching than I do from the sport. He goes, the uh, he goes, just if you're going to play basketball, start doing a light layup drill and just go faster and faster until the game starts. Until you, until you're, I mean, whatever you're warming up to do, just do what it is you're going to do. <laughs> you know, you go out there and start swinging the golf club slowly, right? You, you don't go on an extra cycle for an hour. You know, anyway, that was his opinion, but. Uh, so, John, we heard us talking about to Dan and uh, to Lou. I mean, what do you make of the uh, 
uh, you know, some of these economic numbers down as another clunker here this morning, although it hasn't taken the S&Ps down as much. We're, we're into this this fight now, uh, and, it, and it really is a political one. I've been kind of talking about it all weekend. I didn't have a chance to talk to you on Monday because we didn't have a show, but there's, a, there's this political fight, and it, it's very similar. Talk about history repeating itself to the Jimmy Carter year when he was running for election. Even though Biden's not running, there's a midterm. Where do you ask the Fed to go whole hog before the election or after, or do you try and delay any kind of a slowdown that the, that is that is Fed induced? Because well, the speed up was Fed induced, and now the slowdown is going to be Fed induced. Induced, I guess. Do you, do you cause them to slow down and? What the hell? What's been five years? What's another four months? Let's do it after you know, after the election. And and, and what cost does that bring to people? I mean, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of tricky stuff going on here. Plus, you got a war going on. You're you're trying to, you know, to push forward uh, electric energy seemingly way too soon. You've got, you know, gas prices to the roof. Although it, the taxation, the city must be rolling in the dough on the taxes, and because especially on the sales tax on this stuff. Um, I mean, it's. Do you think we have enough irons in the fire around here, or what? Oh, man, I can't, can't count them, Tom. Well, it, it, it shows what strange times we're in when you have somebody like Janet Yellen doing this, you know, <laughs> mea culpa tour uh, on television saying I was wrong. You know, it's just you know, a long list of things that she admits to being wrong about. It, it shows that they, I guess they have no other option now to kind of go into the midterms other than admitting that they've been you know, full of BS for the last year and a half, and knowing that they've been you know written off by thinking people for a long time now, and that if they continue to sing a different tune, it, it doesn't wouldn't move the needle anymore at all. I, I think now they they think they're, they're going to get some points out of this by saying, "Gee, we were so wrong," uh, and unfortunately, all all it does is make it easier for people like Jamie Dimon to say we're facing an economic hurricane because what does what does he have to lose whether he's right or wrong at this point? When, when other people who have been telling us not to worry are saying, yeah, we've been completely wrong about this. So it, the, the, the quality of you know, the salvaging what, what you can out of a horrifically mismanaged economy from the top down, it shows just how desperate they, they are at this point that they would even have Yellen going around saying these things. Because you know, that would be enough in any other, I think, government spot with that kind of power to force a resignation. Um, if, it, if it was it was really handled that badly, as she says, she handled it so badly. And the fact that she doesn't seem to have any interest or, or anybody else in pushing for a resignation makes me think that they think this is going to bail them out somehow. It's just flabbergasting. Well, I mean, she, the, the idea, I mean, I, I don't know, even I don't, at the time you thought the guy was unapproachable, but I'm not even sure uh, Volcker was. These people, they don't, they don't live in a vacuum. I mean, we don't, we're not going to put, if, if they... <laughs> If they put uh, Lou or Matt Weber in as the Fed chair tomorrow, do you think they really want him to be independent? I mean, he's he's not getting the. It's like it's like putting a Supreme Court judge in there or any judge. You, know, you you put somebody in there because you know when it comes time for one particular case, you get the yank the chain. Depend on that person. Yeah, you get the yank the chain. I mean, is anybody? Yeah. I mean, last year, say when Trump was. I mean, he started to pull back on the money supply in the uh, last quarter of eighteen. And Trump marched him into the 
White House and paddled him or something. What, what waterboarded him? Was that what we were doing for a while? I mean, he walked out and all of a sudden he opened the floodgates again. Gave him a lobotomy. <laughs> yeah, a lobotomy or something. But I mean, but you don't. You, I mean, imagine, imagine if you could. I mean, who it would be? It would have to be George Washington or somebody to say for Biden to run out. Biden, Trump, pick pick a name, Republican, Democrat. You say we got this incredible program. It's going to be well. It used to be a couple hundred billion dollars. Now it's a trillion dollars. And for the okay, let's cut over to Matty Weber, Fed President. Hey, Joe, it's all on you, buddy. You either better raise those taxes for a hundred billion, or 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 or, uh, or go out and borrow it from somebody because you're not getting a dime out of me. But can you even imagine that that happening? No, no. I mean, I mean, who would, who would have those kinds of stones? I mean, Jenny, well, nobody who would have gotten that far. Yeah, in nobody, life. Yeah, yeah, nobody <laughs> would ever sure. gotten the job, right? <laughs> the only the only time possibly was Volcker because you were, they were so desperate. They said, "Look, we got to do something." I mean, this is this is killing us, and and we're and we're getting close to that stage, but now we're way deeper in a hole in terms of uh, of a Fed balance sheet, in terms of governmental deficit than we ever were in, in the in the seventies. I mean, we're not even close. I mean, so now if these guys run interest rates to ten percent or twelve percent, we're talking well. There's the the deficit, the government borrowing is thirty trillion dollars, right? So do the math. Every 1% is $300 billion. All right, so if they raise the rates 5%, that's a trillion and a half dollars more in paid interest for that. Of course, you get, to be to be fair, uh, if, if, if Matty Weber all of a sudden starts getting that kind of money on a government bond and he and, he, and it's income, he's going to have to give back 35% of it in taxes. So you get some of it back in taxes. But still, it's, it's not something these guys want to have, right? And they've been doing this really since... Clearly, since the Obama administration, and and if, if you really want to go back to it, they've been doing it since the the Iraqi War. Bush started it. Couple that to the fact that they have all this tinkering with lockdowns and bailing out the aftermath of the lockdowns, and you know, the cities that have just become shells of their former selves. All of these things that you didn't have to worry about forty years ago. I mean, right. when the economy was was doing the best it could, of course there were pressures with oil prices and with the, you know, the hostage crisis. You, you can make a whole list of things that had people on you know, tender hooks, but you didn't have a wholesale slaughter of the, the whole system like you had here in 2020. And it, it isn't just in this country, of course, but it, but it's but it's had a horribly concussion like effect everywhere. And that you you can't just like you know wait your way out of it. it. It requires some kind of massive plan. Well, well the, the planning that they've done has clearly been to just make the situation worse. Well, we need it's to all get... about just ignoring well, you have the danger of doing this in the first place and then underestimating how long it's going to take to ever get back to some kind of normal. Well, if we, we've, we've got to figure out a way. We've got, to, we've got to get at least a million or two million people. We'll go over this with Carl tomorrow. you got to get a million or two million people out of the column that doing nothing or retired into the, into the uh, the column where you're useful in paying taxes. And my, I, my first step would be to give pilots another six months or a year before they have to retire. And oh, by the way, come back to work. I mean, it, it, the idea of, of of us having, you know, able-bodied people. And of course, you got to, you know, you got to be in good shape and have the eyesight. But I think we had all kinds of those guys. How many how many policemen are retiring at fifty because they don't have policemen? Well, you can't be sending them a check when they're fifty. You got to do something. No, instead of you know mandating people get vaccinations or whatever before you can do anything, making it easier to re- reduce the number of people who were willing or able to come back to their offices, it, it should have been the opposite. You you disincentivize people sitting at home. 
Well, Matty, no, it isn't all what they did. Well, Matty's real happy he's not working for Tesla. Oh, God. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? Get back in the office 40 hours or stay home forever? <laughs> you did see that, didn't you? <laughs> that's just a little, little too straight talk for most people. I I, I, that'd be me in a second, boy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about the 40 hours, because I think there are people that, uh, if, especially if they're out seeing clients or something, they don't have to drive 40, out, 40 miles to the office to turn around and drive 50 to the other way, side of their house. I mean... You can you can use your head a little bit on this, I think, but the idea of hiring somebody in a totally other state that you never plan on seeing—I I don't know—I guess there are businesses you can do that, but boy, I never seen one. No, and it isn't something you really want to explore in any with any kind of seriousness, because whatever benefit you get from it has got horrific effects attached to it that are going to make it hard for you to make money down the road too. Well, I, I know a guy here. This is probably uh, not politically correct, Manny, but his firm hired this. Uh, Asian lady, evidently was a, a former runway model or something, and he hadn't seen her in a year. He couldn't wait to see, to see him. Do they have a, a back in the office mandate so he could at least meet her? <laughs> That's fair. I'm sure he just wanted to, wanted to find out how, how good she was at the industry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. SB Future is up 12, Nancy Future is up 40. Maddie, good seeing you. Thank you, John. Thank you. Be back tomorrow with Carl. Don't know the labor numbers. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.